Welcome to another episode of the Dan Norton Show. Today, I am here with Aaron Rabinowitz. Aaron, thanks for joining me. Hey, Dan, thanks for having me on. You're welcome. So before we get started, could you just tell my audience a little about who you are and what you do? Sure. I am a moral philosophy professor. I, well, I'm currently working on a PhD in education with a focus in moral education. I've been teaching ethics courses of a variety of sorts for about at least 10 years. Um, my particular interests are having to do with the issue of moral luck. This is the idea that it's sort of immoral to hold people responsible for things that are beyond their control. Um, and it seems like everything might be on be beyond our control in the way that kind of matters there. So that's something that I do a lot of work on, and I'm interested in developing sort of educational theory that takes these issues and centers them more as a way to kind of develop compassion, that sort of thing. Uh, other than that, I do Embrace the Void and Philosophers in Space, these two philosophy podcasts. Um, I have a Skeptic Mag, The Skeptic Mag, the UK one. I have a monthly article with them. So I, I try to do a bunch of different like public philosophy to just try to help people think and talk more about ethics and, and try to sort of understand um, their lives a little better. Okay. And I've seen some of your contents. I watched... Uh, you had a debate with Ben Burgess, which I watched mm -hmm. on YouTube. And then I saw, or I or listened to one of your podcasts and I read one of your articles on the uh, UK websites. So when we were talking beforehand and settling on a topic, I think what we decided that was that we would talk about luck. Uh, you mentioned meritocracy uh, later, uh, determinism uh, came up in our conversations, volitional control, free will, all that sort of stuff. So I don't have a super strict um, agenda that I want to get through, but those are, I think, the general topics that we uh, said we would talk about. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah, sounds good. Okay. Then uh, from here onwards, it's going to be um, pretty, pretty uh, free-flowing. So we could start by, I, I could say some things about free will uh, or in Ayn Rand's view of free will. I myself am heavily influenced by Ayn Rand and her philosophy of objectivism. Or you could lay out what your view of free will is, and then uh, I could react to that. Um, mm. Let's see. Um, do you have a preference? I, I on, think... Uh, yeah, well, let me, let me say, I think it might be worthwhile if we started with, like, what are the stakes for declaring when someone has free will or not? Like, why does it matter to us? Um, I mean, I know why it matters to me. I guess I'm curious why you feel like it's important to suss out who has free will and why. Okay. So what is the importance of free will? I think I think, I think this helps shape the definition is why I ask. Okay, so I think it's, it's a fundamental fact about human nature that we have free will, that, in other words, that we can make choices that we're not determined. Now, I know that's already getting into controversial ground because many people, at least in the academic world, are what's called compatibilists. They think that you can both have free will and be determined. 
right, I don't which buy I am that. not. I, I am not a compatibilist. But yes, okay. that is correct. So so I don't buy the compatibilist view uh, either that free will and determinism are compatible. Determinism being the idea that everything is determined in advance. There's only one path in the future. Nothing could have happened differently than it did. Um, so, you know, whether I turn out to be a mass murderer or a um, law-abiding citizen, that was all determined before my birth. Um, mm -hmm. So... If, if that is your view, if you do accept determinism, then I think that's incompatible yes. with free will. I now, some people, okay, so some people also, there's a different sort of compatibilism. Some people will also say that uh, determinism is not only compatible with free will, it's compatible with moral responsibility. So even if you are determined, even if there only is one path into the future, it still makes sense to think that there's something like moral responsibility, that people can be morally responsible for their actions. Right. I also reject that sort of compatibilism. Um, so As do I at this point. Okay. Now, from what I recall, there is what I would call a, a kind of compatibilism that you do subscribe to from our discussion in, in email, which is that uh, you think that there can be such things as moral truths um, mm -hmm. consistent with determinism. Mm -hmm. And you also think that it makes sense to use ought sort of language, like someone ought to do something, uh, even if determinism is true. Now, I, I also mm -hmm. reject those sorts of claims that there is a compatibility between ought statements and determinism or moral truths in determinism. So I think that's one place where we would differ. Yes, I agree. That is one place in which we would differ. Uh, is that so for your purposes, is your main concern when it comes to free will, does it boil down to concerns of moral responsibility or are there other issues that you think are sort of lurking in the background when we are trying to assess someone, whether someone has free will or not? Moral responsibility is certainly a big one. I don't know that it's the only one. Uh, there's also something you might call epistemic responsibility. So are we responsible for the beliefs that we hold? Mm -hmm. um, you might see this as a subset of moral responsibility. Indeed, I do. Um, that is correct. Okay. So in that case, it, it might not be a separate point, but um, just to make a little more explicit what there is, what it is mm -hmm. that I have in mind, you can hold someone responsible for his actions, his existential actions in the world. So did, did you study hard for the test and then therefore get a good grade and deserve praise for doing that? Or did you uh, fail to study for the test? Were you, being, um, were you procrastinating on doing what you should have been doing and then, therefore you got a low grade on the test and you deserve blame for that? Um, there's also, so that's kind of involves existential actions that you might do, pull out your book spend some hours studying. But there's also the internal mental actions of managing your own mind. So are you, mm -hmm. are you choosing to think and focus your minds on the facts? Or are you just allowing your mind to be buffeted around by emotional forces internal to you and you're not really the one in control? Uh, so your mind is just drifting um, at the mercy of uh, it could be external things in your environment or just internal thoughts and emotions that you're having 
Um, are you just in a state of drift or do you seize the reins, the mental reins, so to speak, and guide the processes of your own mind? If you do seize the reins and guide your own mind, you might be um, said to be exerting epistemic responsibility uh, in the sense that you're, you're controlling the process that eventuates mm -hmm. in your having certain beliefs uh, down, and, yeah. downstream. And my understanding is, is from looking at the stuff that you sent me and from listening to one of your uh, other conversations, um, Randis tend to try to locate free will in epistemic behaviors that they believe are volitional in a way that is sufficiently independent that it can ground responsibility. Is that roughly accurate? Yeah, so it's a psychological notion of uh free will the view is that it's not that we directly control our actions or mm -hmm. or at least not maybe i should say we don't directly control our beliefs like you can't directly choose to believe something but you can control whether or not you choose to focus your mind or not and if you focus your mind that will lead you to have more reality-based beliefs rather than if you let your mind drift in a state of unfocus of non-alertness then you'll more likely be guided by uh, irrelevant considerations and come to less likely be, uh, which will less, less likely result in holding reality-based beliefs. Mm -hmm. So that's- So, yeah, go ahead. That, that's just kind of abstract. Maybe I can get into some more um, concrete examples of that uh, either now or later, but I'll just pause there for now and see what you have to say about any of that. Yeah, so usually at this point, I would want to make sure we were on the same page, I think, for defining control, since you repeatedly sort of used the idea of we are controlling our actions or choosing in the right kinds of ways. Uh, I think, though, if we both believe that determinism is incompatible with free will, it's likely the case that we believe that a similar kind of control is needed. So we would, we, I think we would both agree, for example, that like my ability to pick up a glass and put it back down doesn't prove that I have the kind of free will that is necessary for more responsibility or responsibility more broadly. We would say that like it needs to be some kind of more robust kind of control, um, which I think ultimately we can chase it in circles a while, but I think it's ultimately going to boil down to like a libertarian, independent, internal self that you believe is willing your mind towards one thing or the other and it is in some ways independent of the deterministic forces that drive everything in the universe um and that's where i think we're going to have our central point of disagreement and i'm happy to like unpack the kinds of luck specifically constitutive luck that i think undercuts the plausibility of that that kind of free will and therefore that kind of moral responsibility um but i think that's probably going to be our main rocks of disagreement here okay so we both think that a certain is 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 this what you're saying we both are on the same page about a certain kind of control being needed uh mm -hmm that's contrary to determinism if there is to be some, such a thing as moral responsibility and and i think that there is such a control form of control and you think there isn't is that a fair Correct. way of putting it? yep okay 
So, uh, yeah, let's, um, I think uh, it'd be good to get into that some. So mm -hmm. I, I think the, uh, the, the primary evidence that there is a responsibility, a moral responsibility grounding sort of control that we have is introspective. I think that's the primary sort of evidence we have for it. We can just directly observe our mind controlling things, choosing, making choices, uh, and may, let me give an example of this. So uh, to use an example that Harry Binswanger, an objectivist philosopher, often gives, if I say, Mary had a little, what word jumped into your mind? Well, lamb, right? Lamb. It just mm -hmm. happened automatically. You had no control over that uh, word uh, coming into your, your consciousness. But if I, now say, if I now say, what is 1,852 times 36? Does an answer automatically pop into your mind in the way that lamb right. popped into your mind? Well, no. You could start doing work in your, in your head. You could say, okay, well, the ones digit is uh, six and two. So if I multiply those, I get a two in the ones column and I carry the one. And you can go through this process. But at any moment, you can say, I'm going to stop. I, I'm not going to proceed with this. It's just too much work or it's too much effort or it's pointless. Um, I'm going to uh, do something else instead. So you can observe your mind uh, putting forth this effort to solve this math problem or not. That is entirely up to you in contrast to the case of the word lamb popping into your mind, which is not up to you. That's automatic. So we have introspective data such as this uh, that tells us certain operations in our mind are operations under our control and certain ones are not. Now, the determinists will often come and say, well, this is just an illusion. Yeah, I grant you, it at least seems that we have some kind of control over our minds, but there's scientific evidence and arguments that we actually don't. Now, I've looked mm -hmm. into some of the alleged uh, scientific evidence such as the experiments done by benjamin Libet's. yeah i don't use the Libet argument at all i think they're um th that's the wrong way to go in making these arguments entirely but i'm familiar with what you're referring to these, yeah, these, are, so, these are studies that suggest that like behavior begins before conscious decisions to act essentially right mm -hmm. so that's one sort of argument against free will and for determinism but you know determinists have been along around a lo long time before benjamin Libet, who was just uh I guess he did his work in the 20th century, but um, uh, there have been determinists long before that. So I think there are other reasons that have led philosophers throughout history to accept uh, determinism. Um, I think materialism or mechanistic view of the world might be part of the reason. If you have a kind of billiard ball view of, of uh, the cosmos, so everything is just a bunch of atoms bouncing around and humans are just big collections of these atoms. And since the atoms themselves uh, don't have any yeah. free will, any combination of the atoms don't either. So that's another sort of argument. So yeah. Right. And you're not rejecting determinism, are you? I am rejecting determinism. I think so that's you, you, you think there's a, there's a non-deterministic part of our universe somewhere? Yes, our own minds. How does it work? Which I think, how does it work? I mean, is it is it like, well, so here's, here's a problem, right? Are you saying our minds are... are non-deterministic in a sense that like they're random or are you saying they're 
determined, but they're like unmoved movers in some way. Not random, but I would say they operate by choice or decision. And I do right, but we, we, would, we would agree that there's a version of choice that obviously doesn't involve free will, right? If I choose what, what I think is choose uh, to grab something, but really I'm under mind control or I'm, you know, um, I'm, I'm actually asleep or something like that. Who knows, right? Like there are situations in which like choice is not indicative of the kind of free will we have in mind here, it seems to me. Um, not to mention the challenges with like, what do we mean when we say choice? It's very difficult to explain because you can't choose to do otherwise, right? There's no evidence that there's a reality in which we did otherwise or something like that. We don't have access to alternative worlds or something. So all we have is the thing you did and we have the reasons that you did it. And I think you believe that our minds are based on reason or acts based on reason. So. Let me let me let me actually jump in with a couple of things based on what you were saying there. First of all, do we agree that introspection is fallible? That like I can be wrong about what's going on inside of my own mind? Uh, maybe if you mean introspection in a broad enough sense, I think there are certain things that you introspect that are very simple. Like uh, right now, feeling pain. Um, yeah, am I feeling pain? Yeah, feeling, feeling pain is the classic pleasant. example of introspection that you can't be wrong about, where in the sense that like, if you think that you're in pain, you are in pain. But when it comes to like, knowing whether I like knowing the reason that I believe something, for example, like my, my reason for believing X, I can be wrong about my reason for believing X, right? I can think that I believe it because I'm noble and I, I want to believe this noble ideal, but I really believe it because it's self-serving, for example. That's possible. Yeah, you can be mistaken about your beliefs. I think there are some cases okay. where it's it's uh, very easy to be um, uh, certain of your reasons. So, you know, why why do I have fear of going to the dentist? Well, because I know that the last time I was there, it caused a lot of pain. Um, I think that's there are some very straightforward cases of uh knowing what your reasons for having certain beliefs or emotions are okay. but there are cases where it's That's more fine. complicated yeah i just wanted to make sure that that like we weren't saying that like introspection is infallible because that would be a very very strong claim that would need like a lot of evidence um now i think at the end of the day the better argument so so you got into like some of the determinism stuff a little bit i don't think and most people that i talk to who sort of share a view similar to mine when it comes to the free will stuff we're not really interested in debating the physics and like whether the particles do x or y or something like that and i don't really think it's necessary so i think most folks agree these days that if the universe was indeterministic right if it was like random that wouldn't be any better because it would mean that like everything was random like if you if you if, in theory if you scaled it up right you would assume that like everything was random and randomness would not be what we want when we talk about free will and moral responsibility right we want doing something for a reason that you chose in some way independent of the forces that rob other people of free will right and i think if you're really serious about the problem of moral luck there's no such entity and no such choice is ever being made. Um, so just really briefly for folks who aren't who haven't read about this or aren't familiar, 
Um, moral luck is a problem that was made very famous by, in particular, a guy named um, Nagel. And he basically says there are four kinds of moral luck. We need to worry about three of them in particular. Consequential luck, which is the luck of how things turn out. Circumstantial luck and constitutive luck, which is the luck of who you are and what makes you up as a person. And basically the argument goes, you can try to avoid circumstantial and consequential luck by focusing all of your judgment inward on the person's choices, their reasoning, whatever, the stuff that you are doing here exactly. And then what he says is, but all of the choices that you make, whether it's thinking quickly or thinking slowly, are the result of factors beyond your control. And that if you really look inward and find all of the reasons for why you do the things you do, you will recognize that like there is no independent you there at the controls. There's just forces pushing on other forces. Um, and I don't, I don't think that like short of just outright declaring the existence of a soul, there's any real argument against that position. So I'm curious to think, I'm curious to hear like what you think exists inside of you that ex escapes that problem essentially. Okay, uh, just uh, for the audience, you're referring to Thomas Nagel, not mm -hmm. Ernest Nagel, who was also no. a philosopher. Yes, um, no, Thomas Nagel. Um, Mor right. Mortal Questions is the book, Moral Luck is the chapter. Um, yeah, so I, I think I'm, I'm curious how your independent self solves that problem. Okay, so I don't think there is a Cartesian sort of soul that could exist independent of the body as a as a substance you might call it uh, i think there there is consciousness and we have that's that's uh axiomatic we have direct evidence yeah. i'm pro-consciousness too okay and we have evidence also direct of how that consciousness works and whether it is under our control and that's that's what i was just pointing to uh a few minutes ago in talking about the example of Mary had a little lamb versus doing this math problem in your head, you can directly observe that you, you your consciousness is controlling that process. So that that's right. the primary evidence. And you can, you okay. can, you can um, say, well, maybe there was something unbeknownst to you behind the scenes. That's no, that's not, that. it's not the subconscious but, thing that I'm worried about. It's more, every piece of the thing that you refer to when you say you in that sentence. So let, let's take the math problem, for example, right? What does it take for you to be able to do that complicated math problem? Well, it takes some energy for one thing. If you're, uh, mm -hmm. if you're too low on energy, like you haven't had food for a long time, you haven't had sleep, you might just not have the mental energy or stamina to go through with it. So I think having a healthy intact and energized sufficiently energized brain is one thing you need in order to be able to exert your volitional mm -hmm. control what else and, would you need drugs can help this you know certain drugs they can uh make you more alert more capable of exercising your your uh, volitional control right. um and some are sedatives also, which can have the opposite effects you'd also need you know someone to have taught you math right you would need the time to sit down and do the thing because you're not busy doing something else because of whatever force pulling you in a different direction. All of the things that go into doing that thing are at the whim of forces beyond your control, right? Imagine that you were born in a country where they don't teach math. 
right? You would have no capacity to focus your mind and solve that math problem. Um, it, this is very interesting in particular, I think, because as I understand it, Rand to some extent sort of liked to draw, like to say that she was sort of fixing Aristotle, I guess, to some extent or something like that, or or Kant, some of those those kinds of folks, you know, Kant or Aristotle would, would sort of agree that like, and I would agree that the life of flourishing is one where you can do the kind of thing you're describing, that like being able to do the kind of like thinking slowly that you're talking about, I think is central to a good life. But Aristotle and I, I think agree it's whether or not you get to do that thing is a result of luck. It's the result of factors beyond your control. And if we can't hold you responsible for things that are beyond your control, we can't hold you responsible for your ability to do that math problem, it seems like. There are certainly some things that are due to luck, like, you know, what country you were born in or what century you were born in. That wasn't up to you. You just found yourself in that, that circumstance. Mm -hmm. But what do you think is not due to luck? Uh, um, yeah. I think how you how you choose to use your mind in the moment. So let's say you are this poor person who hasn't who was born in some country uh, which has no educational system. Let's say maybe it's a war torn country and they weren't taught math. Okay, well maybe uh, doing a math problem is not one of the things that that is up to them. But I think there are other things that are up to them. So maybe they could decide on well how could I make myself uh, as safe as possible in this war-torn or anarchic sort of society that I was born into? How can I most likely uh, um, maximize the chance that I can escape and get to a better place? That's something that someone might be able to think about or not think about. Or they could just mope and emote and say, oh, uh, woe is me. How I think terrible. you're misunderstanding a little bit my objection here. My point is there are, let's say there, let's say there are two individuals right in that situation one of them has the gumption or the grit or whatever you want to call it to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and escape that that war torn situation and the other one like you say mopes around and doesn't do anything and gets murdered by a rocket or something right the difference between them every piece of the difference between them literally everything you can point to that would explain the differences between them psychologically are results of luck, whether it's nature, whether it's nurture, whether it's, you know, which person happened to help them in one given moment or not, any number of things, an infinite number of things that are like, if they had been different, they would have switched positions or something. Their outcomes would have been vastly different. This idea that there's any part of you that is immune to the effects of luck, even psychologically, right? Like, you know, take it, take the idea of hard work, which is something that people almost always point to as the, like, I, I, you know, I had, I had luck, but I also had hard work and I made choices, right? Well, the choices you make are the result of luck and the hard work that you're able to put in is the result of luck. If you had a chronic illness that made you unable to do hard work or concentrate, right, that would be the result of luck. So how could the opposite not also be the result of luck? Right. So, um, I just disagree that your choices are a result of luck. I think uh, they wouldn't be choices. Choice is something that is up to you. It's it's contrasted with. But that's not an argument. That's just like a direct appeal to a definitional intuition, right? Well, oh, but oh, it's based on introspective well, observation. I know, so but I'm what you're saying, this, right, 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 hold on. Luck thing. But we've acknowledged that there's an illusion of control problem. At least you've acknowledged that like introspection no. can be fallible. 
right? Like, and on some things, like, I don't think on this thing. So what I would say is, I don't think you have any good evidence for the idea that like introspection can be perfectly certain. And even when you do introspect, like here's, let, let me, let's go with this a different way, actually. Give me an example of something in your life that you've done that you think was free, that you like did this, this volitional action in the way that you have in mind. Okay. So um, I just want to, want to put out this phrase you think Correct. everything is luck all the way down that was Correct. one of the phrases that kind of really jumped out at me and listening to some of your content so i thought it might be good to put that on the on the table mm -hmm. for the for the audience to get a sense of what your view is and i don't think and this, this is activity is actually a good way to um, convey that luck all the way down idea actually if you um if you want to play a little okay. socratic game with me for a second okay yeah so what have i done that's uh, up to my volitional control in the way i i i've been trying to describe um I think, uh, well, doing a math problem would be one, uh, not a, a really, um, can, can you give like a concrete specific event rather than like just a theoretical event? Like, did you do like, like a specific math problem at some point that you want to point to, or do you like, well, I can do it fine. right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I can okay. do a math problem in my head right now. Okay. So what's um, your reason for doing it? Uh, I guess it would be to illustrate a, a point about how I have control over my mind. Mm -hmm. And what about you as an individual motivates you to act based on that reason, as opposed to a reason where you decide not to defend free will or something like that? What motivates me to act on that? Because we would, I mean, I would agree there are alternative things that you could be doing right now, but you're doing this. And so I'm curious, what about you right. as an individual? What, have you, what features about you um, cause you to act in this particular way? I want to, so kind of zooming out, I want to, ha I want to achieve happiness in mm -hmm. life. I think that's my, mm -hmm. that's my highest purpose. Great. And I think certain things are the means to achieving that, one uh -huh. of which is pursuing a, a career that I love that would give me a lot of happiness to. Uh, it's all very good reason. Yeah. And it so happens in my case that I am a philosopher and uh, part of the sort of philosophical career I want to engage in is to advance awareness and understanding of Ayn Rand's ideas. And it, it so happens mm -hmm. that uh, I recently encountered you who happens to have a interest in free will and luck, these sorts of issues we're talking about. So I see in this example to zoom in even further is a way of illustrating a certain conception of of okay. free will that I hold. So, so the, so the, the particular example of the math problem integrates to my entire life in that sort of way. And that's why I'm engaging in free will in this sort of way in this case. Okay. So all of those things, the like features about you, the, the, the fact that you're a philosopher, any known, any like, did you decide, did you choose all of them at some point? I don't know if I would say there was a, a single moment where I chose to be a philosopher, but I had many experiences across many years, positive experiences, experiences of enjoying 
learning about philosophy, thinking about philosophy, maybe teaching philosophy that made me think this would be a good sort of career for, for me, comparing that to, you know, the kind of experiences I have doing other things, which maybe they aren't quite as uh, engaging or I'm not pa quite as passionate about them. So I've chosen this one. Do you feel like you chose to be more passionate about philosophy than those other things? I, I wouldn't say choosing, I chose the passion. I, rather, it's, I, I, it's more that I chose the activity that I experienced passion in pursuing. So I, I, this is another place where introspection comes in. I, I observe my emotional state in doing different kinds of activities. And if I find that one I experience is boring, another, maybe it's interesting, but not, I'm not passionate about it. And then another one where I'm super energized and I am passionate about it, then, you know, I'm going to go for the passionate one, assuming it's something right. that, you know, I think I can make some money on and can sustain myself at it. So the answer to the question, like, why didn't you go into being a lawyer where you could make more money is that like you as an individual are more driven by doing things that you're passionate about by than by things that might be financially lucrative? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a balancing act. I mean, you have to do, actually, I'm not making a lot of money right now at, as a philosopher, because I, I That's chose a non-traditional <laughs> route. Um, um, mm -hmm. And there are other sorts of ways one could try to be a philosopher. One could go the traditional academic route and try to be a professor in a university. And for right. a while, so, that is what I thought I would do. But then I had an idea to do something else and I, it was appealing to me. So I decided to take a, a non-traditional sort of route. I see. And by the so way, the question people, would then if you're listening and you want to help me out, you can give me Patreon donations. <laughs> All right, moving on. No, you're fine. Um, my question then, like, it seems to me what you're saying is you have a characteristic, a feature of your personality that you would prefer this passion project to some other kind of thing, um, even if it isn't necessarily the most financially successful and then I think the question is did you choose that character trait or is that just a feature you've always had that has led you in this way towards philosophy did I choose the character traits of preferring I don't think I I don't think one directly chooses character traits I think one one develops them through directly making smaller choices so, um, yeah, I wouldn't say I directly chose to have the sort of um, preference I do for a less lucrative career that enables me to spend more time doing exactly what I love mm -hmm. versus right. a more lucrative career. Rather, I just I made smaller choices about what to do in more particular cases and like how to spend my time in this hour or this minutes. And maybe uh, as a result of those, I came to have a, a general preference for the sort of path that I'm taking. But I, I doubt it was a directly chosen character trait. Right. So what it seems to me then I would say about your choice, quote unquote, to do the math problem in your head in this particular instance is that that mental action is the determined result of your preferences and your reasons and uh, a bunch of um, experiences, many of which probably, you know, like all of which probably had factors that were beyond your control tied into them. But like there's this giant 
web of things beyond your control, your personality. So this is what, what Nagel means by like constitutive luck, circumstantial luck, nature, nurture, all these things come together to create this individual who's doing this math problem. And that is all the result of luck. That's the luck all the way down. And if you acknowledge all of that stuff, it doesn't make any sense to say, but the math problem was a choice and use the word choice like it somehow conveys or imbibes it, imbues it with some sort of like radically free power, right? If the illusion of control can exist on a large scale in that way, it also can exist in the individual action by action scale, it seems to me. Okay, so I just had a thought, which is, I, I think there's a deeper sort of choice than the choice to do the math problem, which I think is the choice to keep my mind in focus. It's going to have the same regress problem, and though. I, I, I would dispute that, but let, let me just flesh this yeah, out for a second. So I don't think I directly choose my mental content. Um, rather, I choose whether to engage my mind or not, whether to focus it or not. Do I just allow myself to drift mentally or do I keep myself in a state of readiness and alertness? And I think having chosen in this case to keep myself in a state of alertness, a relevant sort of example came to mind, or at least what I thought was a relevant example, which is this math problem. Um, now, if I just, if I were, if I did, if I didn't choose to keep my mind in focus, if I were just kind of drifting mentally, then maybe that that example wouldn't have occurred to me, and we it wouldn't have come up at all. The math example, and we'd be we'd be talking about something entirely different, maybe mm -hmm. something irrelevant. Um, but since I have been exerting control, uh, that example, which I do think is relevant, came to mind. So I think the deeper choice is not the choice to do this math problem or not, but the choice to keep my mind in focus or not. So okay. now if you wanna make a, a, a case that you know that choice itself is is due to luck, then okay, you can make that and then we can debate that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, just want I to would be that, curious to see how you would deflect that kind of, I mean, you would agree that certain people lack the capacity to focus in the way you're describing, right? I I think only if, like they're they're damaged maybe their brain is damaged or maybe sure. they're on drugs as a temporary yeah. kind of uh freak maybe they're of a small child case <laughs> you know like maybe they're well, in a coma ch children i think i think they they have some amount of free will i don't think they're so exactly you know where free will comes into the picture sometimes people talk about well what about animals what about dogs and cats do they have free will um I, I, I doubt they do have free will, I, but I think human beings, even if they're children, I don't think, uh, you know, it magically comes into being when you're 18 or something that you have free will. I think well before that, exactly where um, maybe, you know, a newborn infant doesn't exert control, but I, I would think that um, even a young child exerts, uh, does have free will and can make very simple choices like whether to look one way or another, whether to, but but you're not talking about its... just like it seems to me that you're you're running together the kind of causal influence that we've already ruled out as not being sufficient, and then lumping that in with some idea of like the ability to control one's mind in a way that the mind focuses 
which is a totally separate thing than like, can I turn my head left or right or something like that? Um, and the mind's ability to focus, it seems like, is also, yeah, I think in every kind of way, the result of luck, right? We've acknowledged that like if you had certain kinds of mental or physical illnesses, that would impede or undermine your ability to focus in the way that you're describing. As, as a, uh, a randist, I assume you're familiar with Harrison Bergeron, the short story by um, Kurt Vonnegut. Actually, no. Someone oh, else referenced that in one of my. Actually, uh, yeah, someone else referenced that, but I haven't read it myself, so I'm not familiar with it. It's a classic uh, for people who like to make the leveling down argument and say that like socialism or communism will make everybody have to be on the lowest common denominator possible. Um, in the society in question, everyone has a, a artificial handicap to correct for their skills their abilities so you know and, and if you're smart if you have the ability to focus really well in that world they put a thing in your ear that like buzzes every once in a while and it breaks up your thoughts so you can't have a consistent you know you're sitting there trying to do the math problem and it buzzes in your ear and breaks up your concentration right mm -hmm. now the fact that you live in a society that doesn't do that is not under your control correct uh well no not necessarily i mean it, it might be in the long run like if you're born into the society you're not it's not under your control whether you start out in that society but i think it is under your control whether you end up in that society so like in the war torn case maybe it's not up to you that you were born into it but it is up to you whether you make efforts to try to get out of that and again we're uh, just going to bounce back and forth between yeah. constitution and circumstance here right i'm going to say it's a matter of luck that you're not in a circumstance that causes this problem. And you're going to say, but your constitution can overcome those circumstances. And then I'm going to say, but your constitution is also the result of luck. And then I'm going to give another example of that. And, and we're just going to go round and round like that. So I, I don't see how you avoid the problem of constitutive luck. By So far, as far as I can tell, your argument has been asserting that it is a choice and definitionally, therefore, is free or something so i'm how do you how do you feel like you fix this problem like the luck regress well i've pointed to the direct introspective evidence against the luck and you you don't but the direct introspective evidence coheres with the luck regress problem right i can introspect all day and say my reason for doing this is this and i didn't choose that reason my my constitution is this i didn't choose that constitution unless unless you just mean like literally because i looked inside and said no this is actually me it is therefore actually a free and independent me but that's that that, that seems like deeply implausible given the fallibility of our own personal narratives i don't see that this this thing i'm pointing to introspectively or observing introspectively is the sort of thing that's that one uh should have doubt about like, yeah, you can be you can be fallible in the sense that you can be wrong about, well, you know, what was it about the the movie that I liked? Was it, you know, did I think it had a great plot or was it good acting or did I just think it was, you know, the characters were beautiful or something? You can make mistakes there, but this is not. Yeah, I think you're misunderstanding I think. what I think what I'm arguing for. I'm not arguing that like you you have secret other reasons every time or something like that. Even when you fully know your reasons and the features about your character that tell you that caused you to be motivated by those reasons and not other reasons, the 
combination of those things is the result of luck every single time. So it's not about whether you actually know your reasons or not. I, I, I don't like the only part in which I think you're fallible is this claim that you are directly experiencing some sort of entity or individual self that is free of the forces of reasons right like that's that's what i think i'm i'm not seeing how you bring how you sort of conjure that part of you into existence part of you that's free of reasons so, so like for every, every time you act right you act in theory like, like like even the way you're describing it where you act volitionally right you focus your attention right you're focusing your attention because of reasons you're Focusing Actually, them on not, reasons. I, I'm not sure. I don't. I, I'm hesitant to accept that that you're focusing because of reasons. I think this is. I thought you said you built a, up focus because you want to live a good life. Uh, no, well, I focus because I. I mean, if I if I give a because, it seems like I'm giving a reason, and I maybe in a sense I am, but I think there's a. I think there's you are. Sense, yeah. There's a there's a way in which it's it's not the normal sort of going by reasons or so I think it's bringing you into the realm of having reasons at all to like if you're out of focus there's there might not be or maybe there can't be yet any reasons to govern to, to act on so once you I'm not sure i understand that because it seems like you can have impulsive reasons you could have subconscious reasons you can be an animal and like a non-human animal and act based on reasons even though you might not be able to articulate them in an abstract form like motives like whether you want to call them reasons or motives like you have a motive for yeah focusing and your motive is the result of nature and nurture and your nature and nurture are the result of luck so even the focusing itself even the choice to focus itself is the result of luck it seems like yeah so yeah i don't agree with that but let me let me see if i can um say a little more about this this point about there not being reasons to make this primary choice it's sometimes called so imagine you're you're just waking up in the morning and you're kind of groggy and you have this sense that it would be good to uh, get out of this kind of woozy groggy half asleep state and get into the alert state uh now you so you, you have you a desire that, and a goal and you are motivated to do it and you act based on that motivation it sounds like right well there are so there are conflicting so you also it also feels good just to lie there and not to um not get up so you have sure you can have competing desires and goals but that yeah. doesn't mean you're not acting based on a desire towards a goal right so there's there's something pulling you in the direction of just stay in bed, um, drifting mentally. And there's, but you also have a sense that it would be good for you to uh, focus your minds on what you have to do today and uh, start your day. 
and mm -hmm. there's but you know i've been saying this verbally i i've necessarily to convey the idea i've had to use explicit words but i think there are times when there aren't these explicit words running through your mind but there's just like a sense that it would be good to do one thing and bad to do this other thing and that you could go either way and then it's up to you to to make this choice of which way to go who's the you um, in that sentence you could say your your consciousness so the mix so of nature and nurture that decides things one way or the other i don't think it's just nature and nurture i mean when you put it what that way it it? what like else well, i mean what can there be besides nature or some combination your, your of nature choice. and nurture right <laughs> your but choice. your choice is the result of who you are and who you are is the result of nature and nurture it's like you say the word choice like it's a in, like it's a, a magically causally separate event in some way I think it's a separate event. I don't think it's a magically separate event. So I don't think how, how could it be separate? So like, yeah. is, is it caused as the choice caused by a reason or not? I, I think it is caused in a certain way by a reason, but not in the explicit way. This is what I was trying to get. There's no explicit, but it's still uh, being caused verbal, it still has a cause, right? Uh, yes. It can be an implicit cause, but it's still a cause, right? And that cause is caused by something else prior to it, because all events are caused by something prior to them, right? Well, I think there there can be, I don't maybe an uncaused cause is. So, so you are mover. actually advocating for an unmoved mover inside of us. That's what you're saying. I, like there's an unmoved mover inside of us that exists. I think it's, yeah, there's plausibly, there, there's something like that going on. Yeah. So I guess I would say for me personally, I think that's a reductio ad absurdum. Like, I think you just said, I believe in, you know, magic, right? Yeah, but you, I think you've effectively just said, I believe in a soul, right? You believe in something inside of us that is somehow an unmoved mover where nothing else in the universe appears to be an unmoved mover as far as we know. And then I'm like, okay, but if this unmoved mover it still has to choose a reason and it still has to have a reason to choose one reason or another, I don't see how it could be like if it's unmoved it's equivalent to me to the kind of random consciousness that also would not be able to sustain responsibility right if it's not if you're not moved by a reason you're not a person in the way that we think of persons like like you're a tornado at that point okay so one thing i want to say to, to this is the fact that something is unique doesn't mean it's magical so I do think sure. I just do, I do are think you're, you're positing something sort of, magical in this case, in particular. I do think humans are a unique sort of being, and uh, part of that is we uniquely have free will. But you know, I, I don't think there's there's anything magical about it. Just because it's we haven't seen anything else in the universe. Well, we haven't seen anything else in the universe. You know, build cars and computers and skyscrapers and go to the moon. So, but that doesn't do you mean think any everything of these else things are unreal. Do you think everything else in the universe is deterministic except our consciousness, as far as we know? Uh, yeah, at least plausibly, I think that's the case. Okay. Yeah. I so, yeah. So here's the thing. I believe that consciousness exists. I believe that it's very, very weird. But I don't believe that it's causally separate from the rest of the universe in some way that makes it separate from the luck that makes up the universe. That seems to be what you would have to posit, that like... There's a there's a mental being inside of you that isn't the result of the brain and body and everything that goes into making up 
what I think of as a conscious being. Otherwise, that consciousness is got to be the product of luck, just like the body is, just like the physical brain is. Like, how does it, where, 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 is, where does it escape determinism? Like, it just seems like you have to, like, at some point say, and then there's a consciousness that somehow acts separate from the rest of the universe and is acting based on reasons, but is freely choosing those reasons in a way that is not in any way connected to the passions or motives or desires of the person it was attached to, because all of those things are the result of luck. Okay, so... One thing I want to say is it's not, I mean, there is a connection to other things in the universe, but like you, you need to have a body and a brain that are, you know, healthy and intact to give rise to this, this capacity to make choices. And if you damage someone's body or brain and give them drugs or alcohol or whatever, they could lose it. So it's not like this is a free floating ability that has no relation to the rest of the universe. Uh, and how does it avoid it does. the problem of luck? If it, if, it, if it is in those ways, as you say, connected to these systems that are overrun with luck, how does luck not spread into this thing that you are thinking of as being separate from it? I just don't see, I mean, this just goes back to the direct introspective point. Uh, if you can directly see I mean, you do directly see that do you believe in you God? are controlling it's another topic, but but no, I don't. But but if I was I'm to say atheist. I strongly introspect and say that I'm having a direct experience of God right now, you wouldn't take that to be indicative of the existence of God, would you? No, but I think that's totally a different sort of thing, <laughs> way less plausible uh, given the traditional, I think the thing that you're God. describing is equally as plausible, like literally equally as plausible in the sense that they both require an unmoved mover. <laughs> like you posited the existence of an unmoved mover, which is like a classic theistic argument. Well, I mean, you can, there might be similarities, but, uh, I think that's, uh, in a, maybe a superficial kind of similarity. Uh, I, I mean, you're describing you your consciousness as the gods are a projection of yeah. human beings. Like God is made in the image of human beings. I mean, maybe the, the way people got the idea that God was this way, it was because they observed it in, in themselves. Well, Actually, I mean, of I course they did. But like also the animistic yeah. view of the world, you project your own mode onto uh, the universe. Right. And... But I can give an evolutionary debunking argument for your belief in free will that is, in my opinion, just as effective. But your answer is going to be, but introspection. But you won't accept that answer for other things. So why do you accept it for this one thing? Well, if I have direct evidence of it in one case, but not another, I mean, I don't. But you don't have direct evidence of it. You have, you I, I have indirect I evidence of it. I mean, like, I don't think it's indirect. What, what do you think that you directly experience when you make a choice? You, you, you've made a coerced choice. Have you ever made a coerced choice where you like felt pressured to make a choice? Uh, I'm sure I've felt pressured, but I wouldn't say it was, I don't think I would say it was coerced. Like, I mean, you could put a gun to someone's head and say, you know, give me your, uh, your money or your life. Yeah. And, and in that uh, situation, are they acting freely if they give you the money or no? Uh, in a sense, I mean, not politically freely, but metaphysically I think you could say 
yes, they're acting freely. Do you think they, that so, they have responsibility for their actions the same way as if they didn't have the gun to their head? Uh, I mean, you're, you're still responsible, but I mean, you're not, you're not blameworthy. If you hand over the money, you have good reason to do so. I'm much, so, you know, I, I'm not sure what you're getting at, but there's, there's different senses of freedom, which it's important to, you know, not conflate and you're, you're certainly not politically free. You're, you're not free in that sense, but you, I don't think anything can metaphysically take away your freedom unless, you know, we're talking about, you know, you do some damage to someone's brain or body and destroy their, their capacity to, to make choices. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I, guess, I do think I, 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 I'm just trying to at this point understand sort of your view, I guess, like, what are, what are the limits of like, when is a choice, like a choice that um, counts as responsible versus versus not like, I don't know how to object to your view at this point, because if you're positing the existence of an unmoved mover internal to yourself, and your sole argument for it is introspection. I feel like I've I've done as much as I can to lay out sort of why I think that that is not a, a plausible argument and uh i guess maybe we could talk some about like what the different worlds we want look like based on these differing conceptions of who's responsible and where because i, I don't know how else to like i don't know the, I, I mean I, I think like this is sort of a, a russell's teapot kind of situation where it's like how do I disprove the existence of that little teapot inside of you? <laughs> I have no way to do that other than to like say, look, everything about you is the result, in my opinion, of constitutive or circumstantial or some combination of those kinds of luck. I don't think you can actually point to anything else and use it. just simply saying the word choice doesn't seem to avoid the problem. But unless you have some additional argument you want to present, I think we may maybe we've dead ended, dead ended on that side of things. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Uh, let, let me just say a couple things. So one is I do think free will and choice are coextensive. So you, earlier you, I think you wanted to pull those apart, but I think uh, those are coextensive. So whether it's free will, there's choice and vice versa. The other thing is, I just don't think it's, I think there's something wrong if you're going to say that a belief in free will is in the same category as a belief in in God. Uh, I think those are are radically different. They have radically different epistemic plausibilities to them. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know if there's anything there we can dig into, but um, uh, yeah, I think that's that's uh, that's a big difference there. I mean, if you are positing the existence of an unmoved mover, that to me is metaphysically mysterious. Um, you could try to explain a bit more about how you think this unmoved mover works. Or maybe uncaused cause is a, is a better. I, it's I don't the know same that... problem. It's still it's still the same problem. It's like you know you're you're sujet you like you're just spontaneously generating causality out of non out of nothing. Um, which well, but it's not out of nothing. So it's it's the nature of the organism. So give, given the nature, is the nature of, of the beings, organism referring to like your body and stuff. Uh, yeah, including your in particular. Did you, your brain. did you choose your nature? No, but I don't think that's relevant here. Well, given I mean, if, if you're you saying that it's the result of being... your nature and your nature is the result of luck, you're saying it's the result of luck. 
No, no, no. Your, your nature allows you, your nature is such that you can make choices. A dog's or a bird's or a fish's nature is such that its consciousness uh, is deterministic. It doesn't, it can't regulate itself. Whereas I think, you know, the nature of human consciousness is that, you know, it's based on a biology that does enable it. So to the fact that, yeah, the fact that you were born a human and not a dog is luck. Yeah, you could call not it beyond your control, luck. right? Yeah. You didn't choose to be born a human. Right. Right. So if this thing, if choice is the result of your nature and nature is the result of the luck of being born this particular kind of entity, then it follows that the choice is the result of luck, right? No, your capacity to choose, being the kind of being you are, that you could say that's a matter of right. luck. If you, don't, if you don't have the capacity, you then you couldn't have case. chosen at all, right? Like you have to have sure. the capacity first of all. But so once having... you have that capacity, it's up to you uh, which way you exercise it, which way, and, how you and, use it. But there again, we go back to the you in that sentence is the mix of nature and nurture, and you haven't given me anything else to look at besides those two things. <laughs> no, I, except, I've given you, you choice, know. but you don't want to accept that. Well, but I, I don't think you have, like, define choice for me. What do you mean by choice? Well, this is an axiomatic sort of thing. You can't define it in terms of something else. It's a sui generis sort of thing. I don't think that's it's true. One of I think there are multiple things. definitions of choice. I think plenty of people have presented definitions of choice. So the problem is you're 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 falling back on infallible introspection about an unmoved mover who acts in a way that is axiomatic and so not definitionally analyzable. It, it closes off my ability to argue with the position because you're essentially appealing to three different kinds of mystery there, it seems like. There are things that are self-evidence. There's no infinite regress in in proof you got to start somewhere and one of the places we start is with what is directly introspectively observable in choice the ability to control your mind you can use synonyms like choice control free will but you can't get underneath that choice and control you can't analyze it into certain opinion, other different concepts okay well okay well we we differ on that then and maybe you can articulate that but in my view i think it's a really important distinction are, yeah i think these are axiomatic concepts Okay. And it's not it's not a, a slight against them to say, oh, well, you, you can't put it in terms of something else. Consciousness is also like this. You can't define consciousness, I think, in terms of other terms. It's just a directly observable thing. But, you know, that just so happens. That's the way nature is. It's no slight against it. I, I, I guess I I'm sympathetic to the idea that there are basics. I just think that these things that we're talking about are not basics that like there are things that they atomize into, like is a choice, you know, a action driven by a reason? Is a choice deciding between two different things? What do you mean by a choice? Like if you're gonna, if you're gonna use it as your focal point for your entire theory of free will, there's gotta be some philosophical work that goes into explaining what, what is and isn't a choice. Yeah. Is every I mean, human I, I action do... a choice or but like you're saying certain actions are choices and other ones aren't, it seems like, right? Yeah. I mean, I think there are like your, your patellar reflex that I don't think that's, that's chosen classic example of something that's not, or, uh, you know, the, the digestive, uh, or coughing reflex, you could say that's an action that's not cho chosen. Um, but then the operation of your minds, I think, is is something that's chosen 
every part of the operation of your mind or only some parts of it? Yeah, some parts are like some things like, like the Mary had a little lamb example. That's a case where it's not, it's not open to your choice as to what pops up when, you know, certain sentence or part of a sentence is presented, but um, whether you choose to, I shouldn't use that word, I, I guess, but whether you manage your minds or just let it drift, uh, I think that is something open to your choice. I think that's the fundamental thing open to your choice. So I think by what you mean by choice to me is something like causal influence. I can influence what my mind is doing in the sense, in the very thin sense of like, if I take certain drugs, I can focus more effectively, right? Like, you know, if I take my medication, I can do my job better kind of thing, right? That is, um, uh, you know, and, and similarly, internally, like what you mean by an internal choice is, it seems like just the action itself, as far as I can tell. Like an action that isn't reflexive for you is a choice always, right? Are there any non-reflexive actions that aren't choices for you? I don't know. Uh, Nothing is coming to me off the top of my head. So So that seems like a problem. Yeah, it seems like a problem to me because then you're saying by choice, I just mean action, but that doesn't bring anything to the table and actions themselves are... No, there are lots of... I mean, like act, involuntary actions, like coughing or sneezing. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, I mean, um, I mean, non anything but non-reflexive actions, right? All of your quote-unquote intentional actions are choices, on your view, right? Uh, maybe. I mean, I, I don't. If I thought it through a little more, I might want to nuance, give my view some more nuance. But that might it might be true that I would say all intentional actions are chosen actions do you think we're responsible for all of our intentional actions to the same degree or not uh i I don't know i mean maybe it'd be good to get into a a more concrete example of of an intention uh one might have so like if you if you have the intention to murder someone i think that is an intention that is up to you, not directly, but I think indirectly through choices, I think it's a very corrupt intention to have, but I, I think it's only an intention you could come to have through maybe years of making very bad choices uh, over something direct, something you directly control, which is the management of your mind, in my view. If you choose poorly, on that issue of whether to manage your mind enough, uh, enough times, maybe over the course of years, you could become so corrupt that you could form the ten- intention to, to murder someone. Now, are all intentions some things that you at least indirectly have control over and choose? I don't know, maybe, but that I just wanted to give at least one example to give this a little more concreteness of a case where I think you do choose your intention, but not in a direct way. Okay, so it seems to me then that like we have to say that 
choice and control come apart because if choice is just intentional action and we think that control needs to be something more robust and like when i pick up my glass and put it back down that could be intentional action we might not necessarily think of it as, as having the kind of control that would be sufficient for moral responsibility so control has to be something different than that it seems to me do you agree different than intentional just choice action. it can't just be synonymous with choice because you could have a choice quote unquote that wouldn't hold we wouldn't hold you responsible for are there some choices you feel like that people are not responsible for i don't think so I mean, there maybe there are aspects of a choice you're not responsible for, like uh, if you're misinformed about something. Like maybe the um, I don't know. I'm thinking of the Alex Alec Baldwin case where he shot someone on the set of a movie. Um, so maybe uh, it, it was open to his choice to go through with his job and uh follow the script and pull the trigger and you, you, in a way you could say it was open to his choice to shoot the person but we wouldn't hold him morally responsible for that if uh he was misinformed he was told that you know there's no there's no round in the chamber and there turned out to be so i guess that's a case where i would say um responsibility and uh so is not present but there is choice okay so then so it he's, he's responsible yeah. for making the choice that killed the person but he's not responsible for the the result that the person was killed that would be on the person who you know put the round in the chamber right um similarly right uh you know take someone whose intention is to murder somebody right the flip side of what you're describing and they go and go to try to shoot somebody and a bird flies in the way and you know the bullet hits the bird do you think that we should hold them responsible for successfully murdering the person so in this example the person doesn't get killed because it hits the bird instead right so i mean you couldn't uh, you could prosecute them for a t they're responsible for attempted murder uh but but not murder because there was no murder but isn't that ethically weird, right? That like the difference between the successful murderer and the unsuccessful murderer is luck in that situation. We shouldn't hold people responsible for things that are luck, but we are holding people differently responsible in that situation because of that lucky external factor, right? We, we, we don't, you, on your view, you wouldn't say that we should hold him as responsible as someone who actually successfully committed the murder, do you? Or do you think we should? Like, I don't know what the, what an appropriate penalty is. Like, should, should he be punished the same as if he actually killed the person? Uh, I don't, I'm not sure off the top of my head. Maybe not. Um, but, but I'm not sure. It's not obvious to me that there's any moral difference in in the two scenarios i think 
plausibly, he, he's equally morally corrupt, whether he succeeds in killing the person or doesn't. Mm-hmm. Now, you yeah, said you felt like now, do you believe that there are individuals who have that there are various terms that are used for it? Antisocial personality disorder, sociopathic tendencies, psychopathic tendencies that they jump around on what what term they use, but essentially individuals who are for some reason have a sufficient empathy disorder where they can't understand morality or can't reason their way into acting morally for morality's sake, any of those sorts of things. Do you think that like such individuals can exist and it isn't like their fault that they are those kind of individuals? Antisocial personalities. Um, I, I suppose there can be, I, I'm not a psychologist. I haven't read much about this, but I suppose there could be people who are just, uh, maybe you would call them psychopaths who don't have a normal um, uh, capacity to understand others, empathize towards others. Uh, I, I don't doubt that there could be such people. So, okay. Do they have just, responsibility? Uh, maybe maybe of a different sort. I don't know that they would have the same sort of uh, responsibility. I mean, you might still want to lock them up or, you know, give them the death penalty because, you know, whether they have responsibility for their condition or not, they're a menace to society. Uh, and it right. might still make right, sense right. to do that, but yeah. are they responsible? responsibility? Maybe, yeah. maybe not. Okay. There might be if some, you think you know, that I think they're, they're a very small minority if they do exist. Sure. If you think that they exist though, and that it is possible to be one of them and that it would absolve you of the kind of responsibility that we're talking about here. Isn't it just luck that you're not one of them? Uh, yeah, I guess it could be luck. If this is like some genetic defect that caused them to be this way, to have no normal uh, capability yeah. to feel, feel things towards others. Yeah, I, I think that could be a matter of luck. But I don't think that infects everybody else with, with luck. Mm -hmm. Well, but the problem is, or if it could be, if it is a matter of luck, which it seems like you're not arguing that it isn't, then it yeah. does infect all of us, right? Because I mean, all of in, us, in a way, yeah, there, but for yeah, the grace of luck, go I, right? Way. Right, we're, we're lucky, lucky that we're not that we like that. Born in that condition, but once we are in that condition, I don't think everything is lucky, you know, given that. But Why whereas not? you do, how, how does the luck not infect the next step in the causal chain in that way? I mean, I think this just goes back to the what we've already talked about uh, a number of times, which I guess we're just butting heads over, which is this introspective evidence that I think there is direct introspective evidence that I think there is that we have control over our minds. And uh, you think this is just an implausible, mysterious um, sort of thing. Uh, and, you know, we just disagree on that point. I think yeah, it I mean, is I, unique. I, I, think I think will you grant and I have that, direct but introspective evidence of like introspection and direct introspective evidence of choosing in the sense of like the slow, deliberative making of a decision. I don't disagree with you that you have that introspective experience. What I'm disagreeing is that you have the introspective experience of a radically unmoved mover, which is what you seem to be claiming. I don't think you could possibly have experience of that. I don't, I mean, I'm not sure exactly, maybe when you, when you put it as radically unmoved mover, 
or unmoved mover like you know like i think you make choices where you like have you know do i want a cheeseburger or a hamburger i'm gonna choose the cheeseburger because xyz i'm sure you have those experiences i don't think you have the experience of some uncaused cause like i don't think you could have that experience i I, i'm i doubt i i fail to even comprehend what that experience would be like i mean can you have the I think it's so when this uncaused cause, like I'm not in, in, I think maybe in a sense that is what I'm endorsing. And in a sense, it's, it's not, and it's, it's a challenge to me at least to articulate exactly the different senses mm-hmm. that are going on here, but maybe, um, there's also this phrase, I don't know if this is any help, any help, but, you know, could have done otherwise, uh, given the same circumstances. I think that part is key. I think that's, that exists that you could have done otherwise, which is exists maybe how? not. <clears throat> well, it, I think that exists, I think, is another one of these axiomatic terms. It just can't what I mean exists. is could have done otherwise implies like what the existence of a possible world in which you did otherwise or like I can claim that I could have done otherwise, but like half the time you wouldn't believe me. So like, why should we believe that you could have done otherwise? Like to me, to me, could have done otherwise is a, is a dead end because like we can't prove that you could have done otherwise. And it seems weird to me to claim that if every, literally every other thing about the prior moment was the same, the idea that you could have done otherwise seems implausible to me. I wonder if that's because you're, you're assuming that human beings can't be unique and we have to be like the rest of nature. And, um, I mean, until proven otherwise, like until I have good reason to think that we're not like the rest of nature, I do think that, you know, parsimony and a variety of other things would argue in favor that we are like other parts of nature. I think the, uh, I mean, could you do that sort of same sort of argument with consciousness? Like, But consciousness exists in animals. We have consciousness down the phylogenetic scale. (laughs) How do you know consciousness exists? The same reason I know consciousness exists in you because they came from a similar evolutionary background and they react as if they are feeling pain, right? Wait, that, like, that's you, how you know consciousness exists? Wait, 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 hold on a second. Do you think that like dogs are conscious? Yeah, I do. Okay, how do you know? Wait a minute, I'm. A, well, we can come to that, but first I want I want to know why do you think consciousness exists? Why do I think it exists? Yeah. Oh, uh, I actually don't know. I'm a, I'm a mysterian when it comes to it. I think that, I mean, I think it evolved. I think it's an evolutionary feature. Um, why it evolved and how it evolved is a mystery. I just know that it exists and it exists because of the way that we evolved and the way that other organisms evolved. So your your reason for believing consciousness exists has to do with evolution? Oh, I mean, my reason for believing consciousness exists is because I have direct experience of my consciousness. Okay. And my reason for believing that other consciousness exists is because it's more plausible that you have consciousness like I do than that I'm the only one who's conscious or something like that. 
Okay, so I guess, so where I'm going with this is like, what is, I, I don't see the difference between the way you argue for the existence of consciousness, namely you directly perceive it in yourself in my way yeah. of arguing for free will, right. which is that I directly perceive it in myself. Yeah, it's a good question. And I think there's a fundamental difference between them, which is I can be wrong about all of the content of my conscious thoughts, but I can't be wrong that I am conscious. This is the basic cogito, right? Like mm -hmm. now, now Descartes is wrong to presume that it means there's an independent self, but he's right that you can't deny the existence of phenomenal consciousness, in my opinion. The subjective first person experience that is given directly to us is undeniable, but I can be wrong about every other piece of it, including all the free will stuff. So that's that's the argument. Okay. There's, yeah, so there's a kind of self-refutation uh, argument uh, going on with consciousness. There's also, there have been self-refutation arguments made with free will uh that free will uh denying free will is self-contradictory yeah i think um, that's false i think that's a, that's a it doesn't work the same it doesn't run the same way because it's not fundamental to our experience the way that phenomenal consciousness is well i i, I i'm not sure about that i, I think uh, maybe it is fundamental to our experience i mean i, I think it's uh i don't experience it's certainly the, the way well, I, I think uh, maybe you do, and you, the way you interpret it is is different than than the way I'm interpreting it. But I think I mean I, mean, I think even many determinists they 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 grant there's at least the well they call it an illusion of free will. So they're granting they have this sort of experience, but then they go on to say, well, we have these cer certain arguments like Lebet stuff, which overrides our experience, but they don't deny the experience. Yeah. And what I'm saying is I've gotten rid of the experience as, I, as far as I can tell. I, I don't remember what it's like to experience feeling like I have free will. Okay. Um, I, I don't know like <laughs> that I can relate to that. I mean, I think it's, um, <laughs> I think it's just like part of being a human being. I think it's just the way human beings are by nature that they have this experience so if you i mean say I, you don't I make experience i make it, choices quote unquote right i act i deliberate i do the thinking slow in the way that you're talking about but at no point am i under the illusion or in any way like tricked into back into thinking that like i'm an independent self who's making free choices in a way that makes me responsible so I don't know what you could be referring to that like is still fundamental to my experience that is not that is somehow present there that means that I still covertly act as if or believe as if I have free will. Yeah, I don't I mean, you use this term tricked in there. Yeah, I just don't I don't see the uh, so you said you're not tricked into believing on the basis of your experience that you um that it's not you, like what, I, it's not like when i'm not introspecting or something i slip back into thinking i have free will or acting like i have free will there's no there's nothing to suggest that i'm that i'm like lying to myself about this i actually wrote an article about this for the skeptic mag that it's like people who believe in free will will kind of just assert that everybody else has an experience of free will 
And when that is denied, they will just state that it is the case and that, I mean, there's no, there's no way for me to prove otherwise. That's, that's part of the point of the article is that like, as with all introspective claims, you can't look inside my mind and tell whether or not I actually believe in free will. But I'm telling you, as far as I can, uh, you know, if you believe that introspection is as reliable as you seem to think you do, I'm telling you that I've done a lot of introspection on this subject and I do not believe or feel like I believe in free will. Okay. But I still do all of the like meaning making and, and like acting, you know, and enjoying my life and all those sorts of things. I just know it's all the result of luck. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, this comes, I'm thinking about, you know, how this relates to praise and blame and ought statements. And I don't, yeah, not being a compatibilist myself, whereas I think you are. Um, I know you I'm say not, you're I'm not, not certain a, issues, I'm not a compatibilist. But you are on yeah. ought statements and determinism. You are that. Okay, kind of so I, I'm a moral, I'm, I'm a compatibilist between determinism and moral realism or moral truths but not yeah. free will or moral responsibility. Those things come apart. Okay. And you are a compatibilist on saying that people ought to do certain things. Sure. And determinism. If you prefer, we can talk about what would be better for them to do or worse for them to do, but it, it all comes out in the wash, essentially. Well, I, I'm not sure those are equivalents. Because, you know, I might think an an it's better for an animal to do something than not. But uh, would I say it ought to do something? Maybe in a sense. Anyway. Um, do you think a sociopath ought not to murder people, even if he lacks the ability to do otherwise? No, I think that's incoherent. He can't do otherwise, yeah. but he ought to do otherwise. I think that's incoherence. So I think that's a misunderstanding of ought implies can. This is my my personal opinion about this subject, right? I think ought actually implies, um, sorry, sorry, um, moral responsibility implies can, but ought does not. Ought is just a statement about what would be the right thing to do separate from what one is actually, I think, able to do or not able to do. Um, it would be right for me not to murder a bunch of people, uh, even if I lack the capacity to do otherwise. It's the lacking of the capacity that absolves me of moral responsibility, but doesn't make what I did moral, right? We wouldn't say that if I murdered a bunch of people, it was moral because I didn't have a choice to do otherwise. We would say it was immoral, but it was a tragedy because I didn't have the ability to do otherwise. I think I would say it was amoral, not immoral, because I, I think immoral means you could have, implies you could have done otherwise. So I think the whole realm of morality is just out the window. If, yeah, I just you, I think you'd have to, you'd have to present an argument for me on that one, because I don't see why I'd have to accept that framing at all. Okay, yeah, so there's, there's a sort of compatibilism um, versus incompatibilism. Uh, difference between us um, yeah i just think so, moral truths are, are objective and exist and uh we can cognize them if we're lucky okay so where do we go from here 
Uh, do we have uh, a choice uh, or is it just determined? I guess we'll find out on the determinist view. It's not up to us. I mean, I think if we're lucky, we will <laughs> learn lucky. and grow from this experience. Um, no, I mean, I think that maybe we've covered, you know, a good chunk of what needs to be covered. We've gone for an hour and a half. So that's probably pretty good. Um, are there like any other, were there any other topics that you wanted to get to or any final points you wanted to make? I don't think there's anything I really want to get to that we haven't already. We didn't really get into the meritocratic. Well, I guess in a way, if you subsume that under um, the issue of merit, under the issue of responsibility, I guess and we went into that in a sense. But um, I think when we originally discussed that in the email, probably uh, I'm guessing you had a different sort of thing in mind that we would talk about, like societal uh, issues of redistribution of wealth, that sort of thing, that didn't really come up. But you know, I, 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 not that I, um, uh, we don't have to go into that. It's fine. I mean, I can. I thought it might make sense. That I was kind of expecting we might uh, just be on this very fundamental issue of, you know, whether free will exists in the sense that I think it does, because everything else is downstream from that. Um, all the social meritocratic sort of issues, wealth redistribution. Sure. Yeah. Um, so if we're just going to, if we're uh, just butting heads on this very fundamental issue of whether this sort of uh, free will exists, then I don't know that it makes sense to really get into the other stuff too much. So, yeah, I mean, but, I can just say at least that uh, like, like my preference, my, my belief is that if you adopt my view, no one has moral responsibility even though we still ought to do things. And that's a weird place to be in, I know, but it is not an uh, incoherent place to live in, as far as I can tell. Um, and the other implication is no one deserves to suffer, which is really, really important, which means that no one deserves to suffer, you know, econ excessive economic hardship. No one deserves to suffer excessive punitive hardship, et cetera, et cetera. We, and therefore we have to radically reorient a lot of our social systems in order to make them more ethical based on the growing acknowledgement that people are luck all the way down so you know that's where i end up in a very socially progressive place as a result okay and i would say uh it's i don't think it's luck all the way down i, I think there are things that are up to us um it's not true that you didn't build that as Obama famously said back totally uh, true. <laughs> many years ago, I think yeah, you did build reference. things and uh, uh, you, depending on what you build, it could be, uh, you could deserve praise or blame. You could build good things or, or, or bad things, or maybe tear down things that I think uh, that could also be bad or good. It could be part of create, uh, what of it? Creative destruction or yeah. Um, forget the, but anyway, yeah, I think um, pe people are responsible morally and um, politically. Uh, they they should be left uh, free of coercion. They shouldn't be forced. Um, now, using force in a different sense, not like metaphysically forced by like genes or atoms or that thing, but um, by threats of like uh, violence. Um, whips, chains, guns, swords, that sort of thing. Um, I think people 
should be free of coercion and um, have uh, the right to uh, what they produce. And that shouldn't be coercively taken away from them and redistributed to those who did not produce it. That's my view briefly on some political issues. Yeah, fair enough. I think I, yeah, I think I, we, we diametrically disagree, you know, are opposed on those particular things. Um, yeah, I think, uh, no one deserves anything is ultimately where I come to the concept of dessert and moral responsibility can just be jettisoned and things will be better off for pretty much everyone. I think, um, you know, I'm for people, um, you know, some people need some kinds of reinforcements and I have some compromising positions about like, if you really desperately need to be praised for something, okay. I don't think it's coherent. Um, I don't think that I deserve praise or blame or that anyone else does. Um, I think if anyone deserves anything, it's just a life of flourishing, but even that is probably best described in other ways than via the concept of dessert. Um, I think uh, redistributing wealth leads to more wealth for everybody. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think there are, are lots of good reasons why you should adopt this particular worldview. Um, and, and that actually, I think it'll instrumentally benefit pretty much everybody. Um, but yeah, sorry, I'm just rambling now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we, we do have very different views, uh, on a host of issues. Yeah. Um, but uh, I guess maybe now is a good place to draw the line and bring it to a close. So uh, thank you for coming on, even though it was just a matter of luck in your view, and it was going to happen anyways, from the beginning of time before you were even born, and we're going to have this, but and you don't deserve any credit because you don't believe in the dessert, but correct. I think you have free will. And uh, so maybe on those grounds, I should say, uh, thank you for, for choosing to do this. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you having me on and it was fun. I'm sorry if I interrupt too much, um, but I, you know, get excited about these sorts of things. And even though it is all luck all the way down, I appreciate you uh, making the space. <laughs> you have nothing to apologize for being a deterministic being in your mm. view, but uh, uh, anyways, uh, yeah, I didn't think you interrupted too much. Um, uh, I do that sometimes myself. So sorry if I interrupted too much. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Aaron. I, I appreciate your time. Thanks, Dan. Talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye.